May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. That was interesting what Brian had to say, wasn't it? He was right, by the way. So when we come in, and I know this is, this is an interesting time of year because swallows are coming back to Capistrano. All right, so we have, who do we have? We have Bob and Gail Curley are with us today. This, yeah, and, and Jim Hanley was back this morning, for those of you who know him. And we have Helen Camlin. This is her second week, but she's back. So people are starting to, who? What, were you up north? No. <laughs> Jerry, are the Taylors here? Oh my gosh, I didn't, I didn't know. It, was, it wasn't that I didn't see you, it's that I didn't hear you. I didn't hear you. <laughs> and Margaret's back and David and Linda are back. And so a lot of people are here that haven't seen each other in a long time. Okay, so get it out of your system. All right, today was the day. So next time we come in, let's, let's be a little bit more worshipful as we, as we enter into that sacred space, okay? Wonderful. All right. I want to talk to you this morning about this gospel reading. And uh, the big idea is marriage is God's plan, lifelong, faithful, monogamous, heterosexual. It doesn't always work out that way, but that was the design. That's what he intended it to be, lifelong, faithful, monogamous, heterosexual. And Jesus is now leaving Galilee. He's, he's ending the Galilean ministry. He's headed south. He's crossing over the Jordan into Judea into an area called Perea, and he'll be there for a while, and then he's going to go on to Jerusalem for the final phases of his life and Holy Week. As the custom is, wherever he goes, crowds gather. He, he begins to preach. He begins to teach. He begins to heal. And like always, the Pharisees show up, and the Pharisees show up uh, to test him. They never learn their lesson because they never win. And it's interesting, the word that they use here, test means, and they do it with a question about divorce, the word means to jab, to poke, to prod, to tempt, to disturb, disrupt, upset, or to cause trouble. It's an interesting word. And it all has that same theme of, of causing trouble, making life more difficult for the person who's on the receiving end. It's like Jesus in the wilderness. It was the same sort of scenario with Satan, and he would tempt him with various things to try to get him to turn his back on his father, but he never did. And here, Jesus is going to turn the apple cart on them as well. Remember, Perea is an area that is ruled by Herod Antipas. The question is about divorce. That is not an accident because they know that Herod uh, had this issue with John the Baptist. John the Baptist got in Herod's face because Herod had married his brother's wife. In the Old Testament in Leviticus, that's that's a sin. You can't do that. That's, no, that's called adultery, that particular way that he did it. And so now they're hoping to set up a controversy between Jesus and the people, Jesus and Herod. It doesn't matter who he's in conflict with. They just want him to be cross-threaded with somebody, anybody. So to understand the nature of this attack, you need to first understand the state of marriage in Israel in that day. 
Marriages in ancient Israel were not usually based on love. In fact, the idea of romantic love being the basis of a marriage would have been laughable in that day. Men took wives for convenience. Marriages were only lawful, uh, the only lawful way for a man to satisfy his sexual appetite. When a man married a woman, he got a sexual partner. And as a bonus, he got someone to clean his house, cook his meals, wash his clothes, and give birth to his children. Women were viewed as possessions that could be acquired and abandoned as the needs and desires of the husband changed. So the question that the Pharisees ask is very straightforward. They ask, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? They want to know if a man is permitted to divorce his wife based on the law of Moses. There were two schools of thought in that issue back in the day when Jesus was around. Um, two rather famous rabbis handed down their teaching on the matter, and most people in Israel followed one of these two rabbis. The first one was a man named Shammai, and he taught that the only lawful reason a divorce could be granted was for adultery. The law commended that adulterers were to be put to death by stoning, but by the New Testament period, uh, that was outlawed. Um, and divorce became a remedy for adultery in the marriage. Only the man was allowed to seek a divorce. Women could not divorce their husbands regardless of their reasons. The teachings of Shammai were followed by a small minority of the population and by only some of the religious leaders. Now, the second rabbi that had an opinion on this idea of divorce was Hillel. He had a very liberal view of what this would be. He taught that a man could divorce his wife for any reason at all if she took her hair down in public if she was seen talking to another man, if she ruined a meal by burning the food or putting too much salt into it. Are you ready? If she spoke ill of her mother-in-law. How many marriages would be on the rocks right now If she was infertile, even if her husband saw a woman he thought was prettier, she could be divorced. This was the most popular view, you can imagine, view of divorce among the male leaders of Israel. Most of the Pharisees followed the teachings of Hillel. The, the, um, the Pharisees were looking at this verse. This is out of Deuteronomy 24. When a man takes a wife and marries her, she then, if he then... If, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, he must write her a bill of divorce and put it into her hand and send her out of his house, and she departs out of his house. There was this thing called a bill of divorce. In ancient Israel, divorce was out of control. Men were divorcing their wives for all kinds of frivolous reasons. All a man had to do was say to his wife three times, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, and then you were divorced. That was it. There's no court case, no judges, no lawyers. You're done. These women were being sent out of their homes by their husbands with no legal protection. So a bill of divorcement told society that a woman was not a harlot, but she was free to remarry. And a common bill of divorcement read like this. Let this... Let this be from me thy writ of divorce and letter of dismissal. 
and deed of liberation, that thou mayest marry whatsoever man thou wilt. In later days, this became much more complex, but the intent was the same. So they were given what they called the writ of divorce. The Pharisees ask if this is permitted. Jesus comes back with, what did Moses command you? They want to know what's permitted. Jesus says, what did he command you? And when he asks that, he discards all their traditions and really says, I don't care what the rabbis think. I don't care what the tradition says. What does the scripture say? And he says, it's for your hardness of heart that you were given this opportunity, this writ of divorce. The question is, what is a hard heart? Well, the opposite of that would be a soft heart, mellow, gentle, open. Um, many occurrences in the scriptures of the phrase hardness of heart were warned again and again against hardening our hearts. You heard the story, you know the story of when Moses goes to the Pharaoh and he says, let my people go, and he hardened his heart. What does that mean? He determined, that to, ha he determined to handle it his own way rather than to respond to the natural inclination and determined to respond to the natural inclination of his flesh to do what he felt like doing in that situation, to handle it himself and to ignore God. This is the hardening of the heart. When you determine that you're going to handle something yourself, not pay any attention to what God reveals about it, you are hardening your heart. And this is what was going on in marriages in Israel during that time. I'm going to do it my way. I want what I want when I want it. Mark uh, 10, 6 through 9, Jesus comes back with this. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. God's plan for marriage was lifelong, faithful, monogamous, and heterosexual. That's the definition of marriage. I think I've shared with you a little bit. I, when I was at All Saints, I used to send out anniversary cards. I send them out here, but I put a, I put a verse on the bottom of the card all the time. And it was Genesis 1:24. And you always hope when you put a verse on the card, you hope people will read it. And Genesis 1.24 was, Therefore a man leaves his father and mother uh, and cleaves to his wife, and they become one flesh. And I would put that at the bottom of the anniversary card. And then after a while, I, I was putting 125, and I thought, gee, that doesn't look right. And I was doing it for a while, so I sent this out to a number of people on their anniversary cards, and I looked it up. And what I put on the card was Genesis 1.25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. <laughs> Happy anniversary. So I had to make what is known as a public apology, saying that was not intentional, it was just dumb. Excuse me. At any rate. The Bible tells us that God hates divorce, and he hates divorce for a number of reasons because of what marriage is, one man and one woman. It's his design. He hates divorce because of the strength of the union. 
leave mother and father, cleave to his wife, and be glued to her. He hates divorce because he designed it to be unbreakable. They become one flesh. One plus one equals one. I know that's not good math, but it's good theology. And marriage is God's own work. What God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Some people would say, well, why are you bringing this up? Why, do you talk, why are you bringing up divorce? Divorce is a very painful subject because we have people here who have been divorced. We have people here who have been divorced and are now remarried. We have people who are children of divorce. We have people whose children have been divorced. Their siblings have been divorced. Their friends have been divorced. Sometimes it's been pretty ugly and difficult to get through. I bring it up because the Bible brings it up, and it's a part of life. What does God have to say about it? And then the question is always, well, there are, are there exceptions to the rule on adultery? If you look at Matthew 19, 9, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for unfaithfulness and marries another commits adultery. That word, unfaithfulness to the marriage vows, what does that look like? I have what I call the four A's of divorce. Unrepented of, unrepented of, adultery, addiction, abuse, and abandonment. Adultery, unrepented of. Abuse, unrepented of. Addiction, unrepented of. And abandonment, unrepented of. And sometimes it just gets too hard to stay. It gets too difficult to stay. Um, anybody remember my stepmother, Jean? Okay. Um, do that again. Who remembers my stepmother, Jean? Talk about new people. <laughs> my mother died in the early 60s, and my, we moved to Lockport, New York, and my dad met <coughs> a wonderful woman named Jean. Jean was divorced, and my dad, they fell in love, and my dad married her, and they were together for 44 wonderful years. Wonderful years. They retired here to Ocala. It was great. But as soon as they got married, my dad, who was Catholic, stopped taking communion because he'd married a divorced woman. Jean had been married to an unrepentant, adulterer, addict, abuser, three out of four. She probably wished he had abandoned her, but he didn't. And she had three kids. She said, I can't do this anymore. I've got to get out. And she did. And uh, was it my sister's wedding that he, hmm? Yeah, it's a rehearsal. My dad didn't come up and take communion, wasn't going to. And the priest talked to him about it and said, why not? And he said, well, I married a divorced woman, a sin, I didn't. And they had a wonderful conversation about God's forgiveness. And from then on, my dad took communion. And he felt the grace of God come back into his life. It just makes me want to cry. Divorce is not the unpardonable sin. The grace of God covers all sin. There are repentant heart. There is restoration, there is renewal, and there's coming back and coming home. Broken marriages begin to mend. Communication is reestablished when one of the partners is willing to make a breakthrough and say, Lord, begin with me. I'm the one who needs to change, to love more deeply and more wisely. Even if you think your spouse is 100% wrong when you stand in front of the presence of Christ, you will begin to see that you too have shortcomings. I'm not talking about the four A's here. 
You will discern where you have failed to accept responsibility for the marital relationship, and you will be able to say, God changed me. Christian is committed to follow Christ who went all the way in love, all the time. So for a start, stop demanding that your partner change his or her ways and let God start changing you. That's a good place to start. <clears throat> At the end of the marriage, in the marriage service, we had prayers, and I want to end with these. Eternal God, creator and preserver of all life, author of salvation and giver of all grace, look with favor upon the world you have made and for which your son gave his life, and especially upon this man and this woman whom you make one flesh in holy matrimony. Give them wisdom and devotion in the ordering of their common life that each may be to the other a strength in need, a counselor in perplexity, a comfort in sorrow, and a companion in joy. Grant that their wills may be so knit together in your will, that their spirits in your spirit, that they may grow in love and peace with you and one another all the days of their life. Give them grace when they hurt each other to recognize and acknowledge their fault and to seek each other's forgiveness and yours. Make their life together a sign of Christ's love to this sinful and broken world, that unity may overcome estrangement, forgiveness heal guilt, and joy conquer despair. Give them such fulfillment of their mutual affection that they may reach out in love and concern for others. Grant that all married persons who have witnessed these vows may find their lives strengthened and their loyalties confirmed. Grant that the bonds of our common humanity by which all your children are united one to another and the living to the dead may be so transformed by your grace that you will, you may be your will may be done on earth as it is in heaven. O oh, Father, with your Son and the Holy Spirit, you live and reign in perfect unity now and forever. Amen. I had looked for a particularly Christian marriage song, but I couldn't find it. So I had to settle for this.
So if I could get all the married couples to come up, please. Come on. Holy cow. All right, so here's how you're, and you're going to stand like this and look each other in the eye. All right? Man. Okay. Now, this morning, we did this at the 8 o'clock, and then Karen told me I forgot to say kiss the bride, so... We'll have to do that next week at the eight o'clock again. You know, at least that at least that part. No, I'm good. Thank you, though. Dearly beloved, we have come together in the presence of God to witness and bless the joining together of this these men and women as they continue their journey in holy matrimony. The bond and covenant of marriage was established by God in creation, and our Lord Jesus Christ adorned this manner of life in his presence and first miracle at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. It signifies to us the mystery of the union between Christ and his church, and Holy Scripture commends it to be honored among all people. The union of husband and wife in heart, body, and mind is intended by God for their mutual joy for the help and comfort given one another in prosperity and adversity, and when it is God's will for the procreation of children and their nurture in the knowledge and love of the Lord. Therefore, marriage is not to be entered into unadvisedly or lightly, but reverently, deliberately, and in accordance with the purposes for which it was instituted by God. So this is the Declaration of Consent, and I'm going to ask the, the, um, the women will say something first, and, or I'll say that to them, and you say, I will, and then I'll ask the men, and you say, I will, okay? Ladies, will you continue to have this man to be your husband, to live together, not yet, to live together in the covenant of marriage? Will you love him, comfort him, honor and keep him in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others, Continue to be faithful to him as long as you both shall live. Men, will you continue to have this woman to be your wife, to live together in the covenant of marriage? Will you love her, comfort her, honor and keep her in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others, be, continue to be faithful to her as long as you both shall live? I will. O gracious and ever-living God, you have created us male and female in your image. Look mercifully upon these couples who come to you seeking your blessing and assist them with your grace that with true fidelity and steadfast love they may honor and keep the promises and vows they make through Jesus Christ our Savior who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. So this, uh, this first part is the man, and I'm going to say, in the name of God, I, and you say your name, take you, say your name, and then repeat after me the rest, okay? In the name of God, I, Don, take you, Kathy, to be my wife, to have and to hold, 
from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until we are parted by death. This is my solemn vow. Now, ladies, in the name of God, I take you to be my husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until we are parted by death. This is my solemn vow. Now, if you got married and you didn't have your rings blessed, hold your hand up. If you, if you never got your ring blessed, hold your hand up. All right? Bless, O oh Lord, these rings to be signs of the vows by which this man and this woman have bound themselves to each other through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now that all of us have renewed our vows and given ourselves to each other by solemn vows and with the joining of hands and the giving and receiving of rings, I pronounce that we continue to be husband and wife in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Those whom God has joined together, let no one put asunder. You may kiss the bride. <laughs> All right. Please stand. Please stand. May the peace of the Lord be always with you.